Good morning, church family. Uh, it's good to be here with you. My name is Chris Mix, and I'm the student pastor here. And now that we are officially in Christmas season, I'm excited to kick off a new Advent series that Robert has titled The Songs of Christmas. Christmas. If you're a country music fan, you know Travis Tripp, who made a name for himself playing everything from southern rock to bluegrass to good old country music as a performer. And back in the day, I admit I was a Travis Tripp fan and I had a few CDs of old Travis. And in an interview, Travis revealed a little known secret about his early years. He, um, he, was, he would play in these you know, backwoods, uh, backcountry, out-of-the-way joints, and sometimes things would get out of hand, things would get dangerous. Once when a bar brawl broke out, Travis tried something that worked so well that it became his standard response when fights started. Travis said, just when things started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues and rednecks were heading for their gun racks, I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be the middle of July, and I didn't care. Travis said as he played, grown men would stop everything and calm down. Sometimes they'd even start crying, standing there watching me sweat while I played Christmas carols. Now, that might have worked for Travis, but I've got to tell you that the very first Christmas carol had the exact opposite effect. One famous preacher and scholar called this particular Christmas carol I'm speaking of the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, instructed missionaries to poverty-stricken India never to read the words of this Christmas song in public because it could incite riots in the streets. I'm talking about the song called Magnificat. Mary's response is commonly called the Magnificat taken from the Latin word for magnify, and it will be what we focus on this morning. Mary, she can't help but to respond with praise to the Lord for the profound blessing as to be the one chosen to give birth to the Son of God, the King of Israel, the one who would redeem his people. And so after Elizabeth blesses Mary, she responds by bursting, bursting into song. This is Mary's gospel, and we will see that praise flows out of her knowledge of Scripture. She is an illustration for us of what it means to let the Word of Christ dwell richly in us, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, she overflows with praise to the Lord, magnifying his goodness. Do you remember the story of Samuel and his mother, Hannah? Hannah had no children and was abused by other women because of it, and she prayed earnestly that the Lord would give her a son, and he did. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah sings a song of praise, which is very, very similar to Mary's song. We're going to put it on the screens for you. Hannah prayed and said, 
My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to, the, to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. I want us to see the parallel words um, between Hannah and Mary. Verse 1, Hannah says, My heart exalts in the Lord. Strength is exalted in the Lord. Then Mary, in verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 32, There is none holy like the Lord. And then Mary, in verse 49, Holy is his name. Verse 4, Hannah, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. And then Mary in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Hannah, verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And then Mary in verse 53, he has filled the hunger with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Now, the parallels are obviously not word for word, and Mary nor Luke are quoting from the Old Testament. Instead, it seems that Mary is so saturated in Scripture that when she breaks out in praise, the words that naturally come to her lips are the words of Scripture. Her praise reveals that she did not consider herself exalted, but rather a woman much like the rest of humanity, a sinner in need of a Savior, longing for the fulfillment of God's covenant promises through the Messiah. It is the original work of an unmarried teenage peasant girl who just found out she is pregnant. Now, most unwed girls don't burst into song when they hear news like this, but there was something about married, Mary that made all the difference. Mary was unremarkable, and so are we. The first highlight is actually not really much of a highlight. Earlier in Luke's account, same chapter, chapter 1, he had emphasized the holy character of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 6 says, They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And significant attention is also paid to Joseph, the man who Mary was betrothed, and his lineage, the, the house of David, verse 27. And most importantly, 
The angel Gabriel prophesies eloquently and at length about the one to whom Mary was to give birth. Jesus will be great, the Son of the Most High, the possessor of the Davidic throne, the ruler of God's people, and the king of, a, of an eternal kingdom, verses 32 and 33. And by stunning contrast, Luke offers a very thin description of Mary, a betrothed virgin living in Nazareth, verse 26 and 27. And what should strike us is Mary's unremarkableness. She is a run-of-the-mill, commonplace, 13- or 14-year-old girl living in obscurity in the middle of nowhere. And what happens next is indeed remarkable, as God, who is faithful, does a remarkable work in Mary. But it certainly is not because she herself is anything special. And if God can still use unremarkable people, then we should find encouragement in Mary's very common status, even if we are ordinary Christians just struggling to get by, we can hope that God will use us for his remarkable purposes. Mary trusted in a faithful God. When she heard she was to be the mother of the Messiah, she didn't know how it would turn out either in her present or her future. She simply heard the angel say in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And she answered with total readiness, I am the Lord's servant. Literally, I am the Lord's slave, meaning that she gave herself wholly to God. May it be done to me according to your word, she says in verse 38. She had learned through the hard times that God was faithful and trusted him, even though she didn't fully understand. And I think that we can take note of that sort of faith today. Mary's personal choices had prepared her for the surprise. Verse 27 and verse 34 describe Mary as a virgin. She had decided early on to maintain moral purity. And don't get the idea that this was an easy thing for her day. First century Palestine was no leave it to beaver world. Yet even during her betrothal to Joseph, she kept herself righteous before God. Second Timothy um, 2.21 offers a word to the wise on this. Paul says, so if anyone purifies himself from the things, from these things, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Purity places us in a position to be both used by God and blessed by God. And Mary kept herself in obedience to God and for her husband-to-be. So when the news of her pregnancy came, there was no doubt in Mary's mind that God was up to something special. And Mary, she knew the true identity of the son that she would bear. Listen to what the angel said to her about her son in verses 30 through 33. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary, she heard these titles, Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. Son of God and Messiah. And before anyone else on earth knew who he was or why he came, Mary knew. 
She understood the purpose of her pregnancy, and all the scandal in the world could not change that. A teenage girl was the first evangelist of all, and she told the first gospel in song. We're almost ready to hear her solo, but first let's go to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, to whom Mary is related. As soon as the angel departed, Mary made a beeline to Elizabeth's house, which was uh, several several days journey away. And um, as soon as Mary enters the house and Elizabeth hears her voice, the Holy Spirit confirms the truth in her mind, and Elizabeth shouts out, you are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Well, that did it for Mary. First, it was the angel's words, then Elizabeth's affirmation. It was all she could do to contain herself. God was about to change the course of human history and the most important three decades of all time are about to begin so mary starts to sing the lyrics are recorded for us in luke chapter 1 verse 46 through 55 mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. So do you hear the heart of this mother as she announces and she worships God, proclaiming that a new day has dawned both for her and for us There's two stanzas in in Mary's song. The first stanza really drives this idea of undeserved grace, which really is God's gift to all people. Verses 46 through 47, Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoice in God my Savior. How does a soul magnify God? A mouth magnifies God by saying God is magnificent, by speaking his praises. But no one can hear a soul, no one but you and God. And Mary means that at this moment, her soul feels the greatness and holiness and mercy of God like never before. Because she has a greater, she has a more fuller understanding of how awesome and magnificent God is. And to be clear, God can't be made any bigger, but he can be enlarged in our life and in our soul. And we magnify or we enlarge when we grow in, in, in learning of the depth of his goodness, when from meditation on scripture, our thoughts of God is enlarged. The, the fuller our knowledge of his goodness and greatness is, the greater our ability is to enlarge him. And for Mary, she had begun to think bigger and grander thoughts than ever before, thinking a God who could do this in my womb, what else must he be able to do? 
Her soul, her, her soul enlarged the Lord, and her mouth poured out greater thoughts than ever before. One commentator says, this is emphasized when Mary expresses the same thought in two different ways. First, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and second, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Soul and spirit referring to the inner self. This combination in Hebrew poetry is a powerful way of saying my total self, all that I am, magnifies and praises the Lord. And this is significant because listen to Jesus' words when he began his ministry and he proclaimed in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God seeks people whose entire human spirits are engaged in worship. Magnifying the Lord, making great the Lord with our entire spirit and soul. That is what God desires for us today. And obviously, here in Luke 1, this is an extremely unique situation, but the song is still the same for every single one of our lives. As we grow in the depth of our understanding of who God is, our souls magnify him. Our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior, because he has looked upon each one of us in our helplessness and in our hopelessness. He has drawn us to Jesus. He's given us forgiveness of our sins against him. He's given us eternal life, not based on anything that we have done, but based on who he is and what he has done. And he has blessed us in so, so many ways. So what do our souls do in response to, to this mercy? When we know this, when we experience this, we magnify the Lord. We glorify him with all that we are, with all of our lives. We thank him for the blessings that he has poured out on us. Listen to the words of this teenage girl and even notice her self-description as she praises God. She calls him God my Savior in the opening line of her song, verse 47. Only sinners need a Savior. So Mary sees herself not as the offspring of some immaculate conception where she was born without a sin nature, but as a sinner, just like the rest of us, in need of rescue. She sings of God looking on the humble condition of his slave, verse 48. Literally, she sees her littleness, both in the world's eyes and in God's. Her words tell us that Mary felt totally unworthy to be chosen of God, just another poor girl among thousands who live poor lives in backwater towns of a captive nation. Mary, she was struck by how different God's choice is from how men tend to choose. And here's the truth. There's a single question that arises in the heart of a person who understands how much grace it takes for God to choose them. Why me, O Lord? I know my own, my own sin. I know my own mistakes, how unstable my heart is, how imperfect I am in comparison to how perfect you are. So how is it that you would choose someone like me? Mary felt that question. She understood it. The truth is humility and lowliness are the abiding marks of someone who has stood in the presence of God long enough to realize that they deserve nothing but punishment for their sins, but instead receive mercy. 
She sees God's actions towards her as evidence of his mercy. In verse 50, she sings that his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. That's Mary's poetic way of saying, God, you didn't give me what I deserve. Instead, you showed me mercy, withholding what I have coming, just as you do for all who fear you. In the first stanza, we see something wonderful and true about God. He loves the underdog. He loves the disqualified. He loves the unimpressive, the ordinary people like you and me. And Mary stands before the Lord just like we do, needy, flawed, with nothing to merit his favor, nothing to earn but his judgment. And she is amazed at a God who knows her so well, who knows every dark secret and chooses her anyway. Y'all, this, this is the real gift of Christmas that, that, you, that we celebrate, right? This is what we celebrate this season, one you won't find under any tree. The gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ has come for us. The second stanza is coming, and this is where Mary, she turns her attention to, the, to this world system and interprets the meaning of Christ's coming to this earth. God's strength changes everything. In verses 51 through 55, Mary sings of these reversals from what our world values, shifting everything we try to establish so that it magnifies God's justice for his people. And there's really three groups of people that will be impacted. He will rescue the, the helpless in verse 51. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Now, Mary's just a young girl. Um, she's, she's not a politician. She's not a political analyst. She's just standing in the living room of an older relative in the hill country of Judea singing a song of praise. But... Mary saw it coming. Her child will end, upend all the sinners of power men have established on this earth. This baby is God's signal to power-hungry people for every person and all of society. The end of human strutting and self-centered ambition is at hand. And I personally love the opening line of verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. I remember when I was a boy, I would sometimes challenge my dad to arm wrestle, arm wrestle, and because my arm was too short, I'd put a book under my elbow, and I would go at it, sometimes with two hands or half or all of my body weight, and sometimes he'd let me push his arm backward like I was winning. He'd, he'd watch me strain for a little while, and then at any moment of his choosing, he would slam down my arm. And we would laugh, but I remember always thinking that there was going to come a day when I would get him, and that day did indeed come. But when I think of how many of us in our pride try to arm wrestle with God, and in doing so, we walk over people, I think of this verse. But listen, if you're caught up in this world's values if you're fresh out of options, if you feel that you've been dealt a crummy hand in life, this message is for you. Bring your worries to a loving and merciful God. Don't chase after the things of this world. Don't despair over things that don't matter. Don't lose sleep over who party, whose party wins or how your boss treats you. And don't worry yourself over how wrong you've been in your life. Jesus is coming. Freed us from this. Let the song of Mary comfort you. 
God's just letting the powerful strengthen their position and exhibit their influence for a little while. But one day, he will say enough. One day, justice will flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Amos 5.24, washing away the wrong and setting all things right. Evil in this world will not have the last word. So bring your needs to a loving father who desires good gifts for his children. He is the helper of the helpless. Verse 52, he will exalt the humble. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful men on earth in his day, and he knew it. Robert walked us through Daniel, and in chapter 4, details the sudden change of heart of this man. When God's judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar was lifted, the former king immediately declared in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heaven, because all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. How many times has the Lord brought down the, the, the Nebuchadnezzars and, and the Herods of this world? He breaks their bows. He blasts their projects. He brings them low, and the meek end up inheriting the, the earth. Mary's song means that we need to reverse our ambitions if we want to succeed in God's kingdom. Don't buy into the hype this world system dishes out that says if you're going to get anywhere in life, you've got to be assertive. You've got to walk over people. You've got to blow your own horn and pat your own bat back to make your own path. He will exalt the humble. There's a higher law at work, and Jesus gives it to us in Luke chapter 14, 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So seek humility, not glory. Labor for the Lord, not yourself. Stop caring about who gets the credit. Give without expecting anything in return. Take the back seat. That is the path to greatness in God's kingdom. In Isaiah 66, 2, God said, I will look favorably on this kind of person who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at my word. As I round towards home and uh, Lauren and the team make their way back up. I'm going to invite you guys to stand as well. Verse 53, he will fill the hungry. Verse 53 says, he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty. God is looking for people who are hungry for him. He passes right by the self-sufficient. What did Jesus say? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. God will fill the hungry. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 27 through 29, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. And God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something that no one can boast in his presence. The church of Jesus is for people who are aware of their emptiness, who are aware of their inadequacies, 
who know that they don't have what it takes. It's made up of people like those who gathered to King David when he said when, when he was on the run from his rebel son in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. Every man who was desperate in debt or discontented rallied around him and he became their leader. God loves the forgotten, the passed over, and he is not the least amount impressed by any of our pride, any of our power, or richness. He has mercy on those who fear him who humble themselves and turn from their ego to the lowliness of self-denial for the sake of others. Jesus himself modeled for us self-sacrifice above self-preservation. He pledges himself to those who know that they are handicapped, the nobodies, the broken, the needy, the humble. He shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. He chooses the lowly over the proud and he finds the hungry and he fills them. God is on the side of those who know that they can't take care of themselves. So what do our souls do in response to this mercy? We follow the example of Mary. We magnify the Lord. We lift up our eyes to God and we say, our souls magnify you. God came to Mary in her helplessness, in her weakness, and this is how God comes to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5, 3. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. God is seeking hearts like Mary. Children who will magnify him, who will enlarge him with their souls and proclaim him with their lips, with passion and their entire being. Our Savior came to suffer. He came to save. He came to be our substitute. He came to show us how to live, and He came to show us what God is like. So let's follow the heart of Mary that testifies. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we have in Mary. Help us to worship like she did, to give ourselves wholly and completely to you. And we pray these things in your name.